Amen. Thank you, choir. I shared this with a few of you last week. I, I always appreciate you ladies. I always do. But guys, uh, it's so good to hear those deep, deep parts of the music. Uh, you guys have been sounding so great. Thank you so much, choir, for leading us these last uh, couple of months, really. Um, We've started our, our year together uh, on Sunday mornings talking through questions that Jesus asked, and he asked hundreds of them. He asked hundreds of questions, uh, questions to his disciples, questions to his adversaries, questions to people that he met o- along the way. And there's something that we can learn from each of the questions that he asked, from each of the conversations, from, from each of the interactions. And the question that we're looking at today gets to the core of identity. So I want to invite us to try something that's a little bit different as we start this morning. Uh, when you are introduced to somebody for the very first time, say you're, you're a, a friend and, and a friend is introducing you to a group of his friends, say it's at work and you're being introduced to some, some coworkers, what are some of the names or the titles that you are given when you are introduced? Does that make sense? Some of the names or the titles that you are given when you're introduced. So I'm going to invite you to turn to one another. I told you, we're going to talk to each other. Dave, you're going to have to slide over and talk to Rick. Way, way back there. <laughs> uh, turn to each other. I know for us introverts, this isn't fun. Turn, turn to one another and, and just say, what are some of the names or titles that are given? Take, take 30 seconds. Go. Alrighty, I'm I'm curious, Darv. When somebody introduces you, how do they introduce you? Darv the Dipper. Darv the Dipper. <laughs> well, there's a story there, I'm sure. Darv the Dipper. What 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 about this side, Ella? How does somebody introduce you? Miss. Miss. Miss Ella. Miss Ella. Uh, what about what about Jr? How does somebody introduce you when you're introduced to them the first time? This is a friend of mine. I feel bad for that person. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I've been introduced as JR's friend. What about from the choir? A way that you're introduced? As a wife. Ed's wife. What else? What else? Singer. A singer. A tenor. A bass. I, I hear you guys. I know there's sopranos and altos too. What, what else? What else? How else are we introduced? Daryl, how are you introduced to people? Pastor. Pastor, there's so many titles and, and names that we are given uh, as we're introduced to, to other people. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was out on the baseball field, and one of our, our WPC kids was there. One of our WPC kids was on the field. Uh, he knows me pretty well, and when I called out to his name, he, he returned. And he said, hey, Pastor Coach, Coach, Pastor Dave. And we, we, we joked about it a little, a little bit. We joked about it and got a good laugh because it's not the first time this has happened. Now, every time he runs into me, he doesn't know what to call me. And I say, hey, just call me, hey, you, hey, Dave. Uh, uh, he, he could have called me any number of names, any number of names. 
The truth is, each of the titles that we carry, it says something about us as well as the people that we are with, right? And typically, when you're introduced to someone, you're Ed's wife because Ed might be there, hopefully. Ed might be, you're a singer because we see you in the choir. You're a pastor because we know you as a pastor in a congregation. You're so-and-so's mom, so-and-so's dad. I still got to learn this Darth the Dipper story. Well, another day, there's something attached to the dipper. I'm sure there's something attached to the dipper. Each of the titles we carry says something about who we are in the world and how we relate to the world. The question that Jesus asks in our passage today uh, is, is right about identity. It gets to the core of identity. Picking up at Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, we read this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do the people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. At the beginning of this year, I decided that it was time to start reading for fun again. That was one of my, hey, it's the beginning of the year. I'm going to start picking up some, some fun books again. And our oldest daughter, Ella, said, Dad, I, I know what you should read. Let's read it together. Percy Jackson. Anybody familiar with Percy Jackson? Percy Jackson, the, the, the book series. Uh, we started around the same time. And by the time I got through the first book, she had finished all five. I won't give too much away because you all need more preteen fantasy fiction in your life. It's true. It's a, it's, a, it's a great book. But it tells the story of a boy finding his way in the world as a, a half-blood, which means one of his parents is a Greek god and another one of his parents is a human. Percy's best friend is a satire named Grover, a satyr named Grover. He's part human and he's part goat. Satyrs exist to protect these half-bloods, these, these demigods like Percy, in hope of learning or earning their searcher's license so they themselves can go out on a quest to find Pan. Now, Pan is the god of the wild kingdom, and he disappeared because humans were destroying the earth. Are we all tracking? Are we all tracking? So we've got the half-blood, Percy, Grover, the satyr, and the lost god, Pan. Anyone wonder what this has to do with our passage today? <laughs> we'll get there, I promise. Caesarea Philippi, where Jesus had the identity conversation with his disciples, is at the base of Mount Hermon. About 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee, it, it kind of sat on, on the border, if you will, and it was a, a melting pot of sorts where, where the, the, the Jewish culture kind of collided with other world views. By Jesus' time, the city had been conquered by Caesar Augustus and, and given to Herod the Great. Herod's son, Philip, 
he rebuilt the city and renamed it after himself. Super humble of him. Caesar's town, Philip, Caesarea Philippi, named it after himself. There was something special about this place at the base of Mount Hermon. And it all had to do with the different people who had gathered there throughout history to, to worship. Philip, he built a, a, a Roman temple honoring his father because Caesars were considered to be divine. But before the Herodian temple was built, Canaanites, they gathered in that place to worship the idol Baal. And eventually, there was even an outdoor amphitheater that was built for the Greek god of nature, Pan. See, it connects. It connects. Archaeologists uh, have discovered remains of the structure that Philip Bate uh, built, uh, remains of the evidence of, of the court of Pan. Uh, legend had it that, that Pan would play his flute as three sacred goats would come out of the cave, uh, assuring fertility for the herds. And throughout the wall, the, the, the wall up there behind my uncle, there's all kinds of Greek writing. Reference to Pan's father, Hermes, and even to Zeus. Now when, when Rick Reardon, the author of Percy Jackson, sought to, to kind of connect Greek mythology with, with today's world, with the present day, he, he could have just sat at the base of these walls and he would have had plenty of material. And it was within that backdrop, all of these different belief systems, within that backdrop, standing in the shadows of just about every possible world religion of the day, that Jesus talked about his identity. That Jesus had this conversation about who he was, and he asked his disciples. First, he asks, what is everyone saying? What does everyone else say? What does the world think of me or of the Son of Man. Now up to this point, Jesus hadn't made any direct claims about his identity to his closest followers. Now some of his words and, and, and actions may have led them to make assumptions about who Jesus was, but he, he hadn't come out and say, look, look, this is who I am. And there's an important lesson for us here. Over the last month or so, as we've journeyed through this series on, on questions that Jesus asked, um, I have said that the questions that Jesus asked often led to more questions, into a deeper dive. They'd answer one thing, but then kind of lead into a, a longer journey. So he waited to have this conversation with his closest followers until after there had been all kinds of questions asked. He didn't lead with it. He didn't lead with it. He waited. He was, he was patient. And then after they had been together for a while, then the opportunity for this confession comes. If Jesus could be patient with his first followers, we need to be patient with our friends as well. In front of, in front of the city of world religions, they reply, some say John the Baptist, who had been recently executed. Some say Elijah, who, who never died and who, who was expected by popular culture to return at some time. Some say Jeremiah, the prophet who gave hope to their ancestors while they were in exile. And if it's not one of those three, we, we know, or people know, that, that you're a prophet, a contemporary prophet who's at least on par with them. 
The commonly held belief was that Jesus was special. They, they knew it, they, that he was special. But that wasn't the whole picture. And we're led to believe that his identity confused quite a bit of people. Now we run into that same sort of response today. We hear everything from Jesus was a good teacher. Jesus was a a moral man. Jesus was the example of a servant leader. None of the popular opinions that were given in Caesarea Philippi were complete. And a lot of what we hear today when we talk about Jesus is, is, or hear about Jesus is incomplete as well. The popular answers the disciples gave remind us to be careful with how we talk about Jesus. Jesus turns to Simon Peter and he says, what about you? Who, who do you say that I am? Now, the tense that Matthew uses in his, his writing sets a tone that should remind us of the questions that we ask leaders in the church. The questions we ask leaders in the church before they become elders, before they become deacons, when they're examined uh, on the floor of presbytery to become pastors. It's a weighty question that's looking for a very clear response that's full of honesty and full of conviction. What do you believe to be true? And Peter's response, it's, it's not just a profession about who or what he believes, though it is definitely that. It's the foundational confession of the church. He says, you are the Christ, or the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He doesn't say, I, I kind of think you're the Christ. Or, you know, it's my opinion that you're the Messiah. In other words, you're the Christ for, for us, but I, I don't know if you're the Savior for everyone else. It's emphatic. It's a declarative confession. There was a, a moment not too long ago, a few years back in our denomination, where, where the, the denomination was wrestling with all kinds of questions, and the one that got the most press was the question about what we do and how we handle marriage, but that was not the only issue that was being discussed in, in our denomination. And I remember being asked by some friends uh, what it would take for me to leave the denomination. And my line was very simple, very, very simple. And it's still true today, and it comes from Peter's confession. The moment I'm asked to declare that Jesus is anything other than Lord, other than Messiah, I'm out. That this confession, Jesus is Lord, the Son of the living God, it's essential to our faith. It's essential to what it means to follow Christ, to be Christian. Now, I didn't think the denomination is going there, and I still don't think the denomination is going there, but it is foundational for all of Christianity. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus' identity shapes our identity. Years ago, I stumbled across a unique translation of the Bible called The Jesus Bible. Any of you heard of it? It's the Bible that's been translated into a Hawaiian pigeon. Hawaiian pigeon. And they, they translate uh, this confession from Peter this way. You, the Christ guy, 
You the Christ guy, the special guy God went send, the God who alive for real kind, you his boy. Saying that Jesus is the Christ is what separates him from others, including the prophets that the disciples mentioned. The, the, the prophets that the disciples mentioned that other people thought that Jesus was. This is what separates him. Christ should be translating at, translated as the anointed one, the final king. The final king. And another translation I saw was, was the final answer, the last word. So they're sitting under this, this picture of all of these world religions. And, and Peter's saying, you are the last word, the answer. Jesus answers Peter's confession with blessings on you, Simon, son of Jonah. The fact that you understand who I am, it's a gift from the father of heaven in heaven. Then he calls him the rock or the foundation. Think of all these titles that are flying around, right? Simon, son of Jonah, rock, foundation. He he calls him the rock or the foundation on which we build the church, pointing to the giant caves, pointing to the giant caves and in the wall and saying, not even the gates of Hades, which is what those caves were called, will stop my people. Now there's a few different interpretations about what Jesus' declaration about Peter means. And, and we don't have time to cover centuries of church history, but uh, just in, in a couple quick sentences. Uh, a quick summary would be that the, the Roman Catholic position is that the state, this statement, Jesus, you are, or Peter, you are the rock on which the church is built. Uh, in, the, in the Roman Catholic position, it's, it's the statement means that Peter was given a position above the other apostles. That's what the Catholic Church believes. And the view that came out of the Reformation is that while the Roman Church prioritizes the office of Peter, the office of Peter meaning the position that Peter held, that we prioritize the message that was given to him, the words that were shared with him. If you want to read more about our position, uh, I'd point you to the book of Confessions, or you can just talk to Pastor Darrell. Um, no, the, the book of Confessions, there's a couple places. The, the 17th chapter uh, of the Second Helvetic Confession, or the 25th chapter of the Westminster Confession, um, they both basically state that, that Jesus alone is head of the church. That, that is our position. But this message, the message remains true. The, the, the message that the church has built on the confession that Jesus is the Son of the living God remains true. As Jesus responds to Peter's confession, he uses the word ecclesia or church for the first time in the New Testament. And we see, right again, in the shadow of other belief systems, how the identity of Jesus is connected to the identity of the church. The church is not just a, a building. It's not just a religious institution or, or one denomination formed from one culture with one way of life. It's a fellowship of people from across different cultures whose identity is formed by Peter's confession. You are the Christ, the anointed one, the son of the living God. All that we do, all that we do, together as a church and alone as individuals, is built on that foundation. Let's pray. 
Gracious and loving God, we live in a world that's sometimes not all that different from Caesarea Philippi, where there's all kinds of competing and different belief systems, all kinds of different things being said about who you are or what you are. May we first and foremost be shaped by the identity that Peter confessed. We pray these things in your name. Amen.